Right? Yes. Whenever I send you a link, I'm always worried I'm going to accidentally send it to a different Discord server. How many are you a member of? A few. Well, I don't I feel less special now? Well, I don't really know why. I, I, I don't think you, uh, yours is the only one I actually do anything with. I don't do anything with any of them. I don't really know what it's for. They, they mean nothing to you. What we have is real, yeah? Yeah. Cool. Are you going to bark all day? Strange little man. These guys were at it. Don't fail me again. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Popcorn Bucket Podcast with Ben and Rob. This is a regular look at the wonderful world of films, film franchises, and other film stuff. This week is a one-shot episode where we pick a topic and choose a standalone film to discuss with full spoilers, which isn't connected to a sequel, spin-off, or prequel, and hope that the other hasn't picked it and that we've chosen wisely yet uniquely. This week, the random popcorn maker film topics has popped out. James McAvoy, currently 43, born in Glasgow, and he, who won the BAFTA Rising Star Award in 2006, star of such franchises as X-Men, Narnia, and whatever M. Night Shyamalan's split glass thingy one is called. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't, that's the thing, it doesn't have a nice, concise name, does it? I guess the Unbreakable Trilogy? Oh, yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't have an official kind of thing. So, yeah, I can't help but notice you dropped the nonsense from the intro. I, does that mean we're going to provide less nonsense? Uh, I thought it was because you complained that we should stop. No, oh, it was no, news, just, wasn't it? Yeah, okay. yeah. I know. It's like we deliver on the nonsense. That's, That's the true. one thing that we do deliver. We do on. deliver on the nonsense. <laughs> and that is this week's tagline: We do deliver on the nonsense. I quite like that. I think I think that's a legit tagline. It was better than the last one. The last one, which was sorry if you've got to the end. Yeah, yeah, that 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 one was that that was that was a sad one. That one. So before we start, Rob, we've got to drag out some old business. Indeed. Uh, the one shot. I saw the I because I, I I saw the poll today. Yep. Like this morning, because it only went up today. Because... And the poll is still live, so I can give what it is now, and if it changes by next time, then we'll re-record. Not re-record, we'll update it. I don't think it's going to. Uh, maybe just Team Ben, but it was a strong showing for you, so do you want to recap and then give us the final results? As so, of last week, uh, we looked, or last time, we looked at live-action Disney remakes. Ben went for Pete's Dragon, or Pete's Drag Ben. I went for Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Rob currently stands at forty-four percent to fifty-six percent. Oh, again? Oh, it was it was heavily in your favour in the last one. I, that was that's what happens when so few people vote for it. One vote can sort of swing it. Uh, yeah, so forty-four percent to you, fifty-six percent to me. But I will check and we will update if it does change. Hello, just jumping in here to say that Ben was right; it didn't change. Forty-four percent to fifty-six percent. No, man, I, I think, I think we have no, to no. call it. Fair I is fair. Fair is fair. No, is no, 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 but it's by the by the next one shot. Yeah, it was my fault for not putting up early enough. I will no, read no, out no. my favourite piece of feedback I've had for an episode. Go on. Uh, which is really enjoy the podcast. I've not seen Pete's Dragon, but I really dislike Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Uh, 
10 points for honesty. And <laughs> and that individual has, in fact, voted for Pete's Dragon, despite Hell having yeah. seen it. Yeah. Yeah, well, Team Ben, man. My little Benny Axe. Is that what we, I thought we called them Benyons. Yeah, I know, but then I wanted to do my own thing, like Benamania. Like, like Hulkamania, but not racist. Let's move on. So yes, James McAvoy, which did generally come from a random generator of actors' names. Yeah. Yes, it did. Um, a good one. They, they, that was the thing. There are a couple of ones that we could have chosen uh, because it comes out with, with several. But James McAvoy was just like, the ooh. It had that sort of reaction, just like, yeah, he's done some interesting stuff. I like James McAvoy. I like him a lot. Me too. Um, what have we said in our X-Men? Yes, yes, yeah. Thing. He's he's brilliant. He's he's fucking talented. And if, and I, if I if you were allowed to pick franchises, I probably would have picked uh, probably first class. I think. See, I would have picked Split because I think it's it's. He does a lot of acting. I'm not seeing it, but he does quite a lot of acting in it. Like different. Yeah, worlds. yeah, exactly. And and the the tension is often which personality has control of him. So and so you can see subtle changes as well as definitely not so subtle changes. And Split blew me away when I saw it. And and I, I you know the the fact it was like a stealth sequel was really cool. Glass was not really cool, unfortunately. I, I did not enjoy that very much. But Unbreakable and Split is cool. I think it's called Shattered. Actually, the whole uh, franchise. Oh, the sh- yeah, that I think it is. It makes sense. I mean, what I really liked is when people put the poster of Split next to the poster of Unbreakable, and it carried on the splits in the glass. Oh, that's cool! So that was that was a, a kind of a tease for what it actually was. No, Split is really, really good, and and were it not part of the trilogy, I'd have definitely picked it. That's the first film that comes to mind. Okay. With- McAvoy, but I couldn't. So you go first this time. I do go first this time. If I could have picked a TV series, I would have gone for His Dark Materials, which he plays Lord Asriel. <laughs> when it was when he was announced as uh, Lord Asriel, I remember thinking, "But he's way too young to commit, to play a character that age." And I was like, "Oh, oh no, we've just all got quite old." Mm. And oh yeah, so my uh, my wife, the excellent Mrs. B, has uh, said, "I've already done James McAvoy's best <laughs> film." Which is Arthur Christmas. That related to the mar- marvellous Miss Maisel. <laughs> the excellent Mrs. V. I love it. Anyway, she, yes, she is excellent. Sorry, what you've already we've already covered it. Yeah, Arthur Christmas. Oh, I forgot. Man, we've covered quite a lot of James Mac. We have. Wow. So this is the return of the Mac. Oh. Yeah, I'll let you have that one. Thanks. Okay, so at the end, or off mic, at the end, when, when this topic came up, I asked you whether we could legitimately choose something that was not uh, that was going to have a sequel but didn't have one yet. I think so. I think I think it's the at time of recording loophole. Ah, right. Okay. Because it, it, only one film came to mind for that. And what and was so that? Wanted. Oh, right. Okay. Oh. Oh no, no, I, I don't like wanted at all. What? I, I, yeah. 
Holy crap. No, wanted. You mean it's unwanted. Sorry? You mean it's unwanted? Yes, wanted. When he looks at the camera uh, and looks at the camera and goes, the end, and looks at the, 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 the audience and says, what the flapjack have you done today? Yeah. I've watched a really irritating film that really got my back up. Wow. Don't you talk to me like that. I paid to see this film, even though I'm Man, I did. But... You and I should not be friends. I really well, like Many it. people have said that over the years. Yeah. <laughs> what, about us? Yeah, or why why are you friends? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. We really shouldn't. We, we like completely different movies. That's not true. I know that's not true, but wow, I didn't know that Wanted was one of the ones we differ on. Yeah, but no, that wasn't the film I was talking about. I thought uh, when I started saying that, I thought you'd have picked up on what I was talking about right away. No. Oh, you might have gone for it then, so I won't mention it. Go on. No, just mention it. Okay, uh, Atomic Blonde, because they're supposed to be Netflix making a sequel to it. Oh, no. See, I did think of that, but then I thought... It would be a little bit disingenuous to call it a James McAvoy. Yes, movie. so that was the reason I didn't. Well, the other reason I didn't go for it. Yeah, it's, yeah. M- it's more a Charlie's Throne film. Yes, it's a good film though. I like that. It is. I enjoyed it. So I have gone for 2007's Atonement, which is very much a James McAvoy film. Indeed. Dear Cecilia, you'd be forgiven for thinking me mad. The truth is, I feel rather light-headed and foolish in your presence, and I don't think I can blame the heat. Riding. Do you think you could do me a favour? Run ahead and give this to see. Good heavens, you're blushing. You know it was him? I saw him with my own eyes. I love you. Come back to me. The plot from the back of the DVD, Hooray for Physical Media. Karen Eiley and James McAvoy star in this extraordinary film from the director of Pride and Prejudice. Through a series of catastrophic misunderstandings, Robbie Turner, James McAvoy, is accused of a crime he did not commit. This accusation destroys Robbie and Cecilia's, Karen Eiley's, newfound love and dramatically alters the, cost of the, the course of their lives. A sweeping romance that is both captivating and deeply moving. Hilarity does not ensue at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's not a fun movie, is it? No, it's definitely one that sticks with you. And there will be heavy spoilers throughout. So if you've not seen the film and plan to stop listening and then come back and listen, <laughs> I'm glad you added that little bit in. Just stop listening. So have uh, have you seen it? I have, but. When it came out, okay. so by memory, you know, it's not the best. I remember seeing that, and and I think that was the first time I'd seen James McAvoy in a movie, and I thought, oh, he's just like, because you know, people were going a bit gaga over him, like, oh, he's so lovely and whatever. And I remember thinking, oh, he's just some kind of floppy-haired period drama kind of fodder. Yeah. And then he proceeded to have one of the most unpredictable careers. <laughs> He's picked some, yeah, some random indie stuff, some big name franchise stuff, and still does TV and stuff. He's, yeah, he's uh, he's honestly multi-talented, and uh, I'm glad to, and not too ashamed to admit that I was completely wrong about him. Yeah. He's good in this, but I just, I kind of saw like a Mr. Darcy type performance. Okay. 
which is, you know, just one of the many strings to his bow. But, like, you, that's kind of what I saw, and I was kind, kind of quite dismissive of the whole thing. But Atonement definitely sticks with you, and it, it's... Yes. Yeah. When I think of atonement, and I, I mean this in the best possible way, I've got a sort of lingering sense of sadness. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's not because the film's bad. It's just because that's the sort of thing it evokes. Uh the first one I saw him in was Narnia, which was Mr. Tumnus. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, of course he is. I probably saw that before Atonement as well, but that's the Atonement is the first one I remember seeing him in. So Joe Wright, the director of Atonement saw James McAvoy in a 2001 play out in the open and kept offering him parts which McAvoy kept refusing for six years wow yeah and then he read the script for this and thought it was really good so signed on that's dedication isn't it uh, to sort of keep asking him to, to be in a play yeah uh, but like just knowing that what you're seeing is 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 brilliant and he's just kindly harassing him for yeah. six six years Jesus so it stars as the main cast: James McAvoy, Kiara Knightley, Romola Garay, Saoirse Ronan, Vanessa Redgrave, and Benedict Cumberbatch. And watching it now, it has a hell of a oh my god! That's so and so from so and so now. Mm. Uh, Danny Mays is in it. Juno Temple's in it as a child. Alfie Allen is in it as sort of like someone who's only got like two lines. Mm. So it is about a uh, you've got a class thing going on. James McAvoy is Robbie, cool name, who is the son of a housekeeper in Keira Knightley's uh, sort of family home and he's kind of he's been paid to go to Oxford or, or Cambridge from uh, by the, the sort of the head of the household and kind of but he's still so he's sort of both a tough and working class and he kind of doesn't really fit in either and there's throughout the film there's not it's not constantly but like sort of some people think he's too working class some people think he's too posh there's something going on between Robbie and Cecilia they keep arguing and everyone thinks they've really fallen out, but it's because there is unresolved tension between them. Most of the film is narrated by Bryony, who is played initially by Saoirse Ronan. I think she was like 12 or 13, and then I think she was nominated for Oscar for it. She's phenomenal, and it is no wonder that she's gone on to have the career she's had. She's Yeah, she is next level and has been. Yeah, in this, she's, she, yeah, she's outstanding. Yeah. Bryony, the, the younger girl sees a, an argument between Robin and Cecilia through the window and then you sort of flash back to see it from their point of view and they weren't really arguing, it's all kind of misunderstood. But from then on Bryony thinks Robbie is up to no good. At this house, Kieran Knightley's brother brings a friend who's a chocolate millionaire, played by Benedict Cumberbatch and I've never quite gelled with Benedict Cumberbatch in anything he's in apart from the radio show Cabin Pressure. I don't mind him as Doctor Strange but I don't get why everyone thinks he's fantastic and it's because of this film because he's so sneaky and smarmy and horrible in this film it's he does such a good job he's basically ruined Bender Cumberbatch for me because he's horrible in this wow there's lots of nice the editing this is great particularly when you've got scenes or, uh, where Cecilia and Robbie aren't in it together but they're kind of linked so there might be a bit where uh, she jumps into a lake and then it instantly cuts to him rising up out of a bath and it's done in such a great or like if they're you know one's exhaling a cigarette and the other one the other one is inhaling so they're always kind of connected mm. Juno Temple from Ted Lasso is now is in it as a, a child who's sort of trying to appear older and show off and shows off to uh, Benedict Cumberbatch he talks about uh, coating sugar casing or putting sugar casing on chocolate like Smarties and M&M's to use in World War II rations 
is that a line? <laughs> I'm thinking of quoting chocolate and sugar, like Smarties at their minutes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But he gives a bar to uh, Juno Temple and says, in a really sinister way, you have to bite it. And it's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible, his delivery of the line is so horrible, it really sticks with me. And yeah, just, yeah, evil, evil man. <laughs> Do you have a recurring nightmare where Benedict Cumberbatch is looming over you? <laughs> With a bar of chocolate telling me to bite it. Not even a bar of chocolate. <laughs> he doesn't have anything in his hands yet. Mm. Well, I think that's the implication of the... Uh... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a bar of chocolate. It, it, it's your nightmare. So, you know, it's a bit more graphic. So chocolate. So... Robbie and Cecilia have had a sort of a bit of not falling out, but a misunderstanding where a vase has got broken, which she says it's the most expensive thing in the house, and he says not anymore. Um, he writes a letter of apology to Cecilia, and is sort of uh, agonising of what to write, and, and just start, keeps starting and stopping and throwing away the paper. And then he thinks for a bit and writes something very rude that you see typed out on the screen. Um, it's the sort of word that. I would not say in front of my mother or your mother, but you would definitely say in front of your mother and my mother. I can't even remember this word. What does it begin with? It's a, it's a four-letter word. Uh, well, yeah, but that doesn't narrow it down. It's not flapjack. What does it begin with? C. Okay, there we go. My favourite word. Yes. Yes, I say the sort of word that, you know, I wouldn't say in front of mothers, you would frequently. And I know, and, they, and that's why... Both my mother and your mother prefer me. <laughs> uh, so he then handwrites the note, and his heart felt and says how much he, you know, likes her, and that he, he, something like he wasn't himself, but then he's never himself. He is never him, himself when he sees her. He gives. He is walking to a party at the house. He gives sees Bryony and gives the note to Bryony to deliver. This is a mistake because you've then got him sort of like gazing off and then realizing that he's given her. The very rude note, not the handwritten nice note. Mm. And I, I love the way James McAvoy just sort of the dawning realization on his face before he sort of pauses and just screams, Bryony! after her. But too late, she's already read it. And then gives it to Cecilia. No, it like almost like out of the envelope to sort of like say, you know, I've read this, I know what's, know what's going on. Bryony then. See, doesn't that sound like. Doesn't that say. Because I've seen the film and that obviously sounds funny, but like. Doesn't that sound like a rom-com plot rather than? Well, it's because it's. Uh, not I suppose I suppose it is like a hilarious misunderstanding of a note, although it is like sort yeah. of sexually graphic. So it leads her to think that he's a, a sex crazed maniac. Later, uh, later. So she thinks that he's sort of wants to hurt her sister, and then she catches them in the library in a um, compromising position, and then it sort of flashes back to show. Sorry, what's he doing? Uh, trying to reach some books on the top shelf um, and it then flashes back to look at it from Robbie and Cecilia's view again they sort of meet she says that she's read the note and it was particularly graphic and um, that, that Bryony's read it as well but then they sort of end up kissing and you get the impression that they've, you know, they've loved each other for a long time and this is the kind of uh, it's, it's all come to the to, to the fore because they're, they're very because I don't know because the time the class and the place they're all they're both very repressed and they won't say anything even though they're saying it with their eyes and stuff and you can sort of see them both acting the hell out of it and that their chemistry between James Mac McAvoy and Keira Knightley is um, is next level so mm. like all the 
you know, it's been a while since we talked about Pirates of the Caribbean, but there's a lot of stuff in reviews and probably by us as well about the sort of the lack of chemistry between her and Orlando Bloom. But she's mm. a phenomenal actor, and oh, you know, yeah. the two of them together, so good. It's so I don't intense. think anyone was blaming Kira Knightley. Oh, I've just re reading my notes. They're making such noises in the, in the library that my podcast stopped washing. <laughs> I was just wow. staring at the screen. I was like, "What?" Wow. Yeah. So. At the dinner, you've got yeah, you've got sort of the the awkward uh, awkwardness between Robbie and um, and Cecilia, and at the same time, there's a whole other thing going on between Benedict Cumberbatch and Juno Temple, where or you know you could always imagine it's the same sort of thing where they're a bit flustered and stuff. Some children from the house go missing. They go out on a search party. Bryony goes by herself, even though she's been told not to, and she sees somebody assaulting Juno and thinks it's Robbie. And she says, a line that's constantly repeated throughout the whole film is, I saw him with my own eyes. So she accuses Robbie and he gets arrested. The music is fantastic. Uh, oh, actually, sorry, skipping ahead, sorry. Um, James McAvoy finds the, uh, the the children, brings them home, and almost expecting a hero's welcome, but is just met there by the police who arrest him. And his mother runs out to the car and starts screaming how, you know, it's, a lie. it's all lies, it's lies. And she's smacking um, the car with like a metal bar and doing this rhythmic bang, 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 which kind of fades into the um, into the music and is, repla is replacing this part of the music. And there's loads of examples of that. There might be a, a sort of a piano key, like this repeated one note piano key to sort of amp up the tension, which is um, then revealed to be somebody playing the piano. And it, a lot of the sort of soundtrack bleeds into what's actually going on in this scene rather than it just being in the background. That, what, that is cool. I, I always like things when they do that. When Weirdly, uh, Archer has that, like lines running into each other in different scenes. Yes, yes, really good at that. Yeah, and and I've always liked it because it, it, I mean, it can get a bit annoying, but like when you do it artfully and you have things like uh, diegetic sound going into non-diegetic yes, yeah. sounds. And things like that. That's that's always a winner. So yeah. So it now cuts four years later to northern France, and uh, Robbie is part of the British Expeditionary Force, trying to evacuate from Dunkirk. They're in hiding in France, and he reveals to Danny Mays that it was um, the choice was stay in prison or join the army. So you know he's been in prison for the last four years. Cecilia is now a nurse, and it's, you, you, it cuts to a meeting of them over tea. It was sort of in a in a, in a cafe. And they're still so repressed and can't talk to each other about you know what happened or about their feelings. She gives him a postcard of a cottage, which is, uh, she says it's a place that they'll go and stay one day. You've then sort of cut between uh, an older Bryony, now played by Romola Garay, um, who's become a nurse, as which Cecilia says is his penance for what happened, that she has almost realised what she did and that lying has ruined their all their lives. The So the, there's a bit that I... I've seen this film a few times over the years. There's a bit I noticed this time I thought was brilliant, that when they're walking through a field, he, uh, he takes, uh, McAvoy takes his helmet off and sort of looks up into the sky and breathes in, closes his eyes, and then puts his helmet back on and sort of looks down again. And when he does that, there's a really subtle colour change. It brightens as he takes his helmet off and um, looks up and then darkens again when he looks back down. And I thought it was phenomenal. And then reading about it afterwards, it turns out that was just a, a fluke weather the fluke of the weather during the day. I thought it was like a really subtle directing choice. It was just a really lucky coincidence because it looks brilliant. 
like, like he's feeling free, like a free spirit when he takes off the helmet. Well, but no, but particularly because his eyes are closed and he's breathing in, it is almost like he's got freedom in his head. Mm. And then when he opens his eyes again, it goes dark and it's back to reality. And it works really well, but it was just the weather and, you know. <laughs> just how it was. Yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was interesting. That's brilliant. Robbie has Chekhov's blood on his chest whilst he's still trying to make the evacuation. And you've got a flashback to show that Bryony threw herself in a lake for Robbie to rescue because she has like a childhood crush on, on him. And mm. rather than sort of being pleased and she's like, oh, you saved my life, I am eternally grateful. Like the aliens from Toy Story. I was uh, just going to say, like in fucking Toy Story. Yeah. <laughs> well, return was dreadful. He's cross because she's acting like a stupid child, is what he says. Mm. You then got, you know, goes back to Dunkirk, and you've got a, and a genuinely impressive shot of the scale of Dunkirk, and I think it has some like a thousand extras in it. And you've got this long tracking shot as he walks along the beach and sort of sees various bits and people shooting horses, destroying. Uh, Vehicles so the Germans can't use them. Uh, swelling music, a crowd singing, the bandstand, people fighting, uh, draining pubs dry. And the tracking shot is utterly stunning. Why it hasn't sort of almost been used again is like, you know, a good example of film. It's, it's really good. And Robbie is delirious and sort of has a sort of several feverish dreams. And then sort of there's a bit where he falls asleep and has a dream and, and erases it, almost erases everything he's done because every all the key points of the film are sort of seen backwards and you know, as if they're being erased and he's erasing his mistakes or their mistakes. It's then cuts to the old Bryony, Ramon Garay, as, a, as she's now a nurse in training and she is much sadder and more serious and she's writing a story called Two Figures by a Fountain. There's constant shots of her scrubbing her hands, which is partly from cleaning, but also because of you know trying to wash off the guilt of what she's done. Yes, yeah, the Lady Macbeth. Yes, yeah. She has to look after the wounded returned to hospital, including a French soldier, felt soldier, and then she goes to the wedding of Juno and Benedict Cumberbatch. And it's at this point she realises that it was Benedict Cumberbatch who attacked her, attacked Juno Temple, mm. not Robbie. So she goes to find uh, Cecilia to um, sort of apologise and try and make amends. And Robbie is there on like day leave and is sort of keeps walking in and out of the room when, when Bryony's there and is really cross with her and sort of rails against her and is sort of well, yeah, legitimately cross with her for ruining his life. And she sets out a plan as to she'll apologise to their parents and sort of talk to the police and stuff and get it all fixed. Robbie and Bryony kiss, sort of... Uh, sorry, Robbie and Cecilia kiss while Bryony watches in a kind of a weird way, sort of like lingering almost, wants to be part of it but can't be. And then, final warning for spoilers the screen cuts to black and the voice says, could we stop for a minute? And it's an interview with Bryony, now played by Vanessa Redgrave, talking about her 21st novel called Atonement. She says she has vascular dementia, which means she's losing her words and memory. And so it's her last novel, but it's also the first novel she wrote because she started writing when she was a child. And older, older Bryony speaks almost directly to camera and she reveals that actually... Uh, Robbie died of septicemia in Dunkirk and never made it home and Cecilia died in the uh, Ballam tube flooding in which which was a real life event and that they never made it back together she never apologised she never spoke to, to Cecilia again and never saw them again and the, her book is the book is her way of giving them happiness and that she is atoning for her mistakes by giving them sort of like a lasting happiness in print yeah that's where the sad feeling comes that's from that's where the sad feeling comes from and it's 
the first time I saw it, it just you almost want to wind back. It's like, what? No, no, hang on, do it again. Really? Is this actually happening? Is like, have I got that right? That what seemed to be like, a, as you say, a fairly you know floppy-haired period piece mm-hmm. with some tragedy was going to end happily, and you know everything was going to be resolved. And this is it's like I don't know. It's yeah, it was a rug pull, isn't it? From yeah, from from nowhere, and it's interesting because. Older, older Brian is talking to the audience because, like, the studio fades around and fades out of the, uh, fades out of the way. So it's just her on black talking. She's sort of saying about how the people who read the book will get this happy ending of them together, and then the final bit of the film it goes back to the cottage with the postcard, and it's got um, Karen Knight and James McAvoy running around it and dancing together and holding each other and sort of hugging and kissing, and that's where the film ends, and that's the ending the book audience in this would have got. But we know that it's not a happy ending, even though the book audience would have had mm. a happy ending. It's, 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 it's incredible. It's an incredible story. It's based on the book. Well, it is the book by uh, Ian McEwan. I think, I think it was nominated for the Booker Prize. I don't think it won. But, um, and then watching it again, you pick up on so much stuff. Like You realise that's the reason why Bryony was watching weirdly, because she's the narrator. She's writing about characters. She's not, but they're not from the first person. It's from like a... She's almost the... Uh, or she is the narrator watching people through windows, watching through doorways, sort of on these people's lives. And the mm. reason the music has like a tapping throughout it, like like a typewriter sound at certain points throughout the film, is because it's, it's because it is a story that's being written rather than you know actually happening. It, mm. it's, it's so clever. Yeah, yeah, it is. One of the enduring legacies of this film is uh, Kira Knightley's green dress, which has its own Wikipedia page. <laughs> Um, which I'll read from. The dress is an emerald green, lush, low-cut gown with a flap and drop back and thin straps, alongside a drape wrapped around the, uh, the other hip, a central slit and a Grecian full-skirted silhouette. It features elements of London fashion in the mid-1930s, but with a modern 2000s focus with its colouring, patterns and strap combinations, and it's been voted on the best dresses in cinema. Like, consistently. Why do you have that Wikipedia page saved? Because I tend to take screenshots of notes to read out in the, in this. Right. And okay, it's just, it's just gonna say like, well, I didn't know it had it at some Wikipedia page. No, neither. So, right. Really strange. Yeah. See, I thought you were gonna say like the bit where she's um, coming out of the fountain. Yeah, that apparently was Joe Wright's tribute to. Um, is it Pride and Prejudice when Mister Dice yeah. comes out of the fountain, which yeah. he also directed as well? It was almost the female version of that. Yeah, they're sort of clingy, sort of because they're you know they're, they're sort of very demure undergarments, aren't they? It's like yes. a kind of thing. But then obviously when it's wet, it's kind of a bit clingy. It shows off a form more, etc. And that's kind of like again a, a sort of sign that the repression is uh, is ebbing away. But uh, yeah, so other than it being a good movie, and it does have a hell of a uh, it, it seems a little. Uh, Undignified to call it a twist because it's not really a twist. It's just you just you get context, don't you, to the movie? Uh, I think it changes your it certainly changes your viewing second time round. It, um, it definitely Maybe benefits. It, from, twist, then. it definitely benefits from uh, from a subsequent watch because mm. there are lots of little things, subtle things that you pick up, and you think, oh, that's why that person said that, and stuff. Mm. That's why it's always Brian narrating it when she sort of repeats, you know, I saw it with my own eyes and stuff. Why, why was this your your pick for Jimmy Mackers? Because it's a film that stays with you. I think sad endings. I think sad endings tend sad endings tend to stay with you more so than happy ones. 
yeah. because you almost want that. There's a human element of you wish you could change them. Mm. If they'd just done this, you know, it would be different. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I haven't seen it since 2007, but the, the emotion of it, the actual the actual sort of feeling around it remained. Yes, yeah. I, 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 that, and that was the thing. It was genuine kind of like, oh, yeah, that's not a, that's not a fun movie. That's that No, movie. no, it's not. It's got that sort of like ponderous sadness to it. Um, and and yeah, the the kind of what could have been. And I, I do remember it, it's a bit of a gut punch when you find out that reality didn't quite line up with. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's a, it's a good movie, but I was just wondering specifically with James McAvoy, why you went for. Um, because he gives a hell of a performance in it, I think, because um, he's, you know, this repressed ball of rage. He's. There's a sort of class element with him. It's um, his sort of like longing for uh, Cecilia, his sort of that he can't really do anything because of the class structure in which he's in. You know, the, the anguish on his face throughout the sort of Dunkirk stuff, the anger he has against uh, Bryony when he sort of confronts her, even though it's, a, it's an imaginary bit for the story. But yeah. And I think he was, well, he was quite young when he did it. I think it was not one of his first, I think one of his first main roles, I think. Hmm. Yeah, no, he's yeah. It's it's a good movie. I'm, I definitely have to watch it again. I mean, my other feeling was to say was to go for Atomic Blonde, but I think that was more because I really liked the film rather than it being a James McAvoy set piece. Mm. He, he's good in it, but yeah, I think whereas it, this, he's great. At any point, does like Robbie say, Cecilia, you're breaking my heart? <laughs> no, you're shaking my confidence daily. Missed opportunity. More films should have lyrics and songs in, <laughs> in like normal serious dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. That's good. That's atonement. Indeed. Yeah. Well, shit. After staying away from Wanted, because I'd love to talk about Wanted, but I and as I said, the the one I would have gone with was Split, because I wanted a, a, a James McAvoy showcase. And he is very, very good in Atonement. And that, you know, you've reminded me of quite a few things, and he is—he is brilliant. I, I don't know why I dismissed him. One uh, thing, actually, sorry. One last thing. Sorry to cut back into it. Are you fucking Columboing me right now. One more thing. No, it's just—it's—it's um, it's not related to the film. It's the book. Um, I've not oh, okay. read—I've not read the book, but um, I was told sort of a number of years ago that, and so I don't know if it's true, that in the book it never gets published, so she never gets her atonement. Oh, that's even sadder. I know. Oh, thanks for that little extra. I don't. I don't know if it's true. So, if you've read it and it's not true, or if it is true, please let me know. Yeah. Oh. And if it ruined Ben to come back for you, let me know. Apart from the cabin pressure, because he's great in that. Will you chaff about that? No, I've managed to get two of mine in this week: uh, cabin pressure and his dark materials. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I think it'd be great in a West Wing reboot. Shut up. Shut up. Shut your face. Right, it's my turn now. No more Columboing. So I stayed away from Wanted. You've gone for Romeo and Juliet. No, oh. no. I did look, and I just thought I need, I need something that is, it's just a crazy James McAvoy performance. So I watched Filth. Okay. Does that make me then? You're a policeman. Bingo. Scotland. We're such a uniquely successful race. This nation brought the world television, whiskey, and of course, me. 
Detective Sergeant Bruce Robertson. And then I picked a James McAvoy movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I chose Filth. Um, have you seen Filth? No. You would hate it. Okay. We did our thing on unlikable protagonists. Oh, okay. And he is an absolute arsehole in filth. So it's based on the book by Owen Welsh, uh, writer of Train Spotting and other things that aren't as famous as Train Spotting. Choke. No, no, sorry. No, I think of Chuck Palahniuk. Oh, uh, Chuck Palahniuk, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So it's it describes it as a black comedy crime film, and there's I think you have to be very twisted to sort of laugh at some of the stuff in this, and it is kind of it's sort of like cosmically funny, but kind of ridiculous, and the the sort of the lows that that Detective Sergeant Bruce Robertson by James McAvoy uh, gets to uh, and and the the sort of person he is I mean wow I, this had I kind of because I, I it stayed in my mind for reasons that will come apparent when I talk about it but you know so I for the unlikable protagonist thing I did think that but this almost goes to the point where it's not kind of fun spending any time with him and that's the point. It wasn't really fun spending time with Lou Bloom either, but it was interesting to see him kind of go through and and how the whole thing, how he manipulates people and whatever. And there's kind of a similar element to this. But um, what what I like is is that um, the uh, Wikipedia summary of of uh, Bruce Robertson is I I don't think I could do much better in describing a scheming, manipulative, misanthropic bully spending his free time indulging drugs, alcohol, abusive sexual relationships, and the games. His euphemism for vindictive plots he hatches to cause trouble for people he dislikes, including many of his colleagues in the Edinburgh Police Force. So, there is a, a whole thing. It's got a great cast. James McAvoy, Jamie Bell, Jim Broadbent, uh, Eddie Marsden, Imogen Poots, John Sessions. Some, def some definite classics of the... Uh... British film there. Yeah. And, you know, Edinburgh, so it's shot around Edinburgh and, and, and whatever, but it it's yeah, this is this is the scummy side. I mean you've heard of Bent Cops, but this guy is is just a criminal in, in a in a police uniform. And I won't list all the terrible things that he does, but uh I mean he's he's got serious substance abuse problems he's he's kind of crack up there's there's a whole thing where the police department is that there's a there's the kind of sh sh uh, notion of a promotion without wanting to rhyme that comes up and and all of a sudden bruce robbie robertson is is completely and utterly focused on getting this promotion because he's got this wife uh carol and she's she kind of talks about the sort of teasing. That's how they, they keep their sort of relationship and their romantic and, and sexual life together. That's how they keep it fresh is that, that, you know, they tease kind of things and she likes power. So him becoming a detective inspector, I think, or whatever would, would sort of 
do that. So he becomes very single-minded in the whole thing. And they have they have like a sit-down meeting. Uh, John Sessions is the police sergeant. And you're going through his kind of point of view and he's giving odds on the the you know in his head on who's most likely to get the promotion but he also knows things about them to exploit to make sure he breaks them so that they're out of contention so he's sleeping with one of their wives he knows that jamie bell who's basically been like his sort of student in a lot of ways he's Jamie Bell's learned a lot of bad habits from from James McAvoy with the smoking and drinking and the drugs and everything. But he knows that he's insecure about having smaller genitals because that one time they tagged him the prostitute. And so at a Christmas party, because that's the thing, it takes place at Christmas as well, so it's a nice Christmas movie. <laughs> You've got them, him suggesting that they play this game that they used to play in the office a while ago where all the men go to the photocopier and photocopy their genitals and then it's put up on the notice board and the women have to guess whose junk is whose. It sounds a delightful film. It is. It is deeply, deeply unpleasant. The first the first basic thing we see him do is uh, he wants to bust the guy because it opens it opens with a Japanese student being murdered uh, by some sort of Scottish gang who clearly, you know, racially motivated and things like that. And so he wants to get information on this. So he knows one of the kind of scumbags. So he goes to his house and, and he's there with his underage girlfriend, which she happens to be the daughter of a QC. So he's already got all this dirt on him and her. And despite her, he pulls out a, an ID card and she's like 14. And he gets her to, uh, hmm, how do I put this delicately? Give him a blowjob. And I wouldn't put it like that if you're trying to put it delicately, mate. <laughs> um, and then stops her because he said, where did you learn that technique from a fucking cheese grater? Uh, so and he says he says to her that he's going to tell anyway of the whole thing and then getting the the boyfriends threatening him with prison rape and all sorts of horrible horrible stuff he is an absolute cunt the one decent thing he does happens to be when he's just kind of going around edinburgh being a brick um some guy keels over uh, with a heart attack and he he gives him sort of CPR and uh, calls an ambulance. The guy ends up dying, but he actually strikes up a bit of a friendship with that man's wife and her son, um, because he you know in her eyes he's a good cop who tried who did everything for her husband, and you know wants her son to see a positive role model, not knowing that he's a complete and utter car wreck. And and that kind of that kind of comes around to the whole thing. And as as the film goes on and we see him sort of getting more and more into the whole manipulation, kind of taking his his colleagues down and and kind of getting more and more into drugs and getting more and more kind of 
well, fucked up is is basically the uh, the the terminology. We his his mind starts cracking. We and we get fancy sequences uh, with Jim Broadbent uh, in in a doctor's office, and he's kind of talking to him about all these all these sorts of things. And and it you slowly learn that he has like bipolar disorder, but it, it, there's more to it than that. And the constant sort of substance abuse is not helping things. And he he occasionally see flashes, and they are effective jump scares of people wearing like or just having like animal heads. And the 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 book cover of Filth is like a, just a a pig head with the sort of uh, police helmet on it, and that's how he sees himself in the mirror and everything. And he sees other people as different animals or different kind of things. He sees uh, Imogen Poots' character as a witch. He sees Eddie Marsden's character, who is a very very nice man in general, and he completely corrupts him and whatever. Um, he sees him as a sheep, you know, so lots of kind of things going on there. And it's not a fun film to watch, and it's not something you could watch with your parents. It, it's it's one of those things where it, it is a filthy, grotty little movie. But I kind of like it, and I think it's because it's so unapologetically horrible. And rarely do you see a main character that is this bad. I mean, there's one bit, and, and McAvoy absolutely commits to the whole thing as well. Like he is, he is going for it. And you know, there's there's one bit where he's uh, he's jerking off some porn uh, on on the TV uh, with two girls, and then a black guy comes in and he switches the channel. He says, "Fuck off." So. He's just the worst human being alive. He does he does have you you get to see what kind of started this spiral, this sort of thing. But you get the feeling he was on this path before all that anyway. He does have a vaguely sad sort of backstory, but it doesn't it doesn't excuse all the crap. Like he's still he's still a terrible, terrible person. And through all of this, through the sort of more and more frequent fantasy sequences and and bits where it kind of McAvoy grounds it. It is McAvoy's movie, and you can see him actually be vulnerable, but actually just be the worst person alive as well. It is a proper McAvoy showcase, and and he's somehow still watchable despite being so terrible. So sort of quite compelling. Yeah. Be, and again, I put that down to to McAvoy's performance. I think the the, move, uh, the the book itself was published in '98, I believe, and it had that whole thing of people, you know, that people wanted another like train spotting, another type of train spotting type hit. But Filth was was deemed unfilmable, as often books are, and I can see why. I think you need someone like McAvoy who has that sort of innate ability to you, you kind of you watch them and they're compelling even though they're doing the worst stuff he's still compelling and you you kind of you kind of want to see him pull himself out of it but you you don't at the same time because you know he's kind of past that whole thing it is a very very strange movie and definitely not one for general audiences <laughs> it, is, it is it is nuts and you know and it's 
Yeah, directed by uh, John S. Baird. He did Stan and Ollie, I think. Most oh, that's re- a nice one. Yeah, and I believe... I believe he's he's still doing the Tetris movie. Oh, is that the one about the game? Because that's got um, yeah, Taron Egerton in it. Yeah, I think it's being filmed. I think it's released this year. I think. I, yeah, well, I think I I believe he's the director of that. Oh, nice. So he's he's got he's got an incredible weird back catalogue. Everyone's great in it. Like you know, Jamie Bell is fantastic. Uh, Imogen Poots is really, really good. Jim Broadbent is, I mean, even though in the fantasy sequences, it, it's its a hell of a broad performance, but it's Jim Broadbent, so you love him, even though he's being scary. And, yeah, but James McAvoy grounds the whole thing. It is is—it is an unpleasant movie by design and experience, but there's something I really, really like about it. And the one thing, I have a, a steelbook of it, and it, it features my favourite of the sort of poster artwork things that were done for Filth, which is him sprawled out climbing up a ladder made of cocaine. It's got the lines of cocaine as a ladder. Okay. And him kind of sprawled out on the thing. It's such a good image and it sums up his character and his kind of thing. It is fantastic. The other one is him riding a pig, um, sort of like Bucking Bronco style. But yeah, and and weirdly... Uh, oh, it has your favourite song, Sandstorm, in it. Sandstorm is in there, briefly. And Mr. Vane, which scores the bit where they're all photocopying their junk. And it ends with an animated sequence. Because <laughs> I don't want Because this thing, I imagine probably not many people have seen Filth as, as a thing because it, it's... I don't know, maybe they have. But I don't want to give too many spoilers as to, to kind of whatever. But it does end on a very trippy animated sequence set to Love Really Hurts Without You by Billy Ocean, which is a fucking great song. And yeah, and and he's a pig, and there's lots of imagery in there. I mean, I haven't read the book, but um, I think that part of the book, or at least a big part of the book, is narrated by a tapeworm which is inside him. Goodness me. And they have a sort of shout out to that in Broadbent's sort of doctor's office. There is a port. There is a portrait of a tapeworm. So there's all sorts of stuff. It's deeply, deeply unpleasant. Um, apparently, James McAvoy can vomit on cue. Okay. In in real life, IRL, and so there are quite a few times where he vomits in this movie, and uh, that was all. That was all real. That's his God-given talent. He gets to do a Scottish accent in this one. He doesn't often get to be Scottish. He is Scottish. Yeah, yeah, the, but his, I believe it's his own accent. Maybe he modified it slightly for the sort of more Edinburgh. Well, he's from Glasgow, so he'd have, he'd have yeah. a different accent to Edinburgh. That's what I was saying. Yeah, it is a fucking weird and fucking filthy movie. And I kind of love its crottiness. It certainly, it certainly makes me feel like a shower afterwards. But, you know, I, I like all films on the spectrum. You know, it can't just be all fun and and all these safe emotions sometimes it's got to confront you with the very worst of humanity and uh he is in this movie at least the very worst of humanity as is benedict cumberbatch in atonement i think he gives cumberbatch a run for his money i'm not so sure oh honestly dude you would hate pretty much every single frame of this movie because 
you were talking about how it's just too much sometimes and you, and you you get to the point where you just you know you're not enjoying the kind of thing he is the worst the actual worst he's worse than Lou Blue he's worse than uh yeah it's a very very strange very very odd feeling movie but then Owen Welsh's kind of books are like that I believe he did a sequel book based on Jamie Bell's character which was just called Crime and I believe that came out much later but God knows if they're going to do a movie with that probably not um, but yeah yeah it, extremely odd but if you want to see if you want to see McAvoy really go for it and um, if you kind of like I like James McAvoy but he's he's too clean in a lot of movies I want to see him in a public toilet trying to jerk himself off to a crumpled bit of the daily sport or something like that. And if that's your bag, I suggest you watch him as Mr. Tumnus in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Yes. Yeah. And, and then he does that. Can't get it up. Then gives up on that. Is angry. And then writes some homophobic graffiti on the wall about his colleague and bursts into maniacal laughter. He's not quite right in the head, to put it mildly, but it's brilliant. It is a, it is a, it's not a fun movie. It's not, it, I, I think it is a good movie, but it's a hell of a performance from McAvoy. And uh, I love McAvoy in so many things. I don't love him in this, but <laughs> that's good acting, isn't it? So that's my pick. Okay. I chose Filth. Yes. So Atonement versus Filth. Now that should be the name of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I think it shows the 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 two sides of of of. Uh, it breaks down because the coin only has two sides. McAvoy has a ton of talent, and uh, uh, he's he's multi-talented, and uh, but this shows it's kind of two extremes. I think maybe. I mean, because Atonement, a lot of it is about repression. Yes, as you said. Yeah, he's very whereas, repressed and kind of holding everything back. Well, and it, it's whereas in Filth, he's out of control. Yeah. So, you know, may, maybe they are sort of almost diametrically opposed. He's, he is uh, a phenomenal actor. He is. And he also seems just like a good lad. Yeah, yeah. And a bit of a geek, I, I think. Yeah, I've seen him interviewed and stuff. And you know, when sometimes you get a, a celebrity in it, they've got a very sort of almost polished version of their public persona. I don't get that from James McAvoy. Um, I, I think I think he is who he is. And I, I think I think he's a lovely lad. Yeah. But um but yeah. No, he is he is truly brilliant and I I want to see him in way more stuff. I don't know if he's working on anything at the moment, is he? Series three of his dark materials, which probably been filmed. Is he is he in Oppenheimer, because every cunt else is. If or either that or the Barbie film. Yeah, that's because I think they're released on the same day, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. You know, he's saying, "Oh, he's going to be." He's he's in the. Uh, oh, okay. He's just in the the podcast series of Sandman, the Sandman with uh, the Neil Gaiman thing. And he was in the Bubble, which I haven't seen yet. And apparently, it's not great. He plays himself. So, so yeah, 
but no, he, he's always he's always uh, worth a watch. Never phones it in. Always brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Did you get Is that? that? You dropping the mic? Yeah. yeah. That was me dropping the DVD case. Oh, sure. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for listening. Please let us know what your favourite James McAvoy film is. We'd love to have your feedback. Please email podcast at popcornbucket.com. You can find us on Instagram at popcornbucketpod or over on Twitter at popcornbucketpd. Thank you so much as always to Lawrence Owen of Longcat Media for the, the for the theme music. If you're able to, it'd be great if you can rate the episode wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe and share. Many thanks. Take care and see you next episode. What he said.